And lately we've been talking about the outer court of the tabernacle. We've been talking about the walls that surround this outer court. How they denote. Everything in this temple, remember, is, is symbolic of something to come of the reality that we have with Jesus Christ. And the walls denote the sovereignty of God, the impenetrable holiness and mystery of God. There's a door to this tabernacle, and that denotes Jesus Christ, who called himself the door. And it's God's invitation to sinners, despite his holiness, to come and fellowship intimately with him. And just inside the door, there is the altar. And the altar, of course, denotes the work of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It denotes Calvary, which tells us that if we're going to have fellowship with the all-holy God, there needs to be atonement made, and that God himself provided for on the cross of Jesus Christ. You come in the door, you see the altar there where they'd sacrifice the animals. And just beyond that, here's what we've been talking about lately, just beyond that was this labor of washing. And what that denotes, we saw two weeks ago was this, a very important point. That the Lord doesn't want just a forgiven bride. The Lord wants a bride who actually reflects in her life a righteousness that is compatible with him. The priests would offer up their sacrifices for atonement for sin, but then they had to go on and be washed. And the picture we get here is this, that the Lord, yes, we're to be, our, our, our access to God is one totally by grace because of the salvation that Jesus Christ purchased. But now the Lord wants to go on and actually transform us, actually clean us up, actually get it so that our thoughts and our feelings and everything about our life lines up with the truth of who He is. He sees in us a precious jewel, as it were. And His salvation on the cross makes us that jewel. But the jewel is yet surrounded in muck and grime. And the Lord knows that we are too beautiful to be hidden underneath a pile of muck and grime. So he wants to wash it off. He wants a bride that he can look at without a dirty face, without all sorts of dirty clothes. He wants her cleaned up. We're to change the analogy a little bit. He wants us not only legally set out of prison, he wants us to get rid of our prisoner characters. You see? He wants to transform the way we actually are in this world right here and right now. So there's a washing basin just beyond the altar. He wants us to be washed up. Now, there's different ways you can take this, but the way that the New Testament applies the idea of being washed is by telling us that it's the Word of God, the Word of God, the truth of God that washes us, that makes us clean. The passage I want to read out of this morning is Ephesians chapter 5, starting with verse 25. I read out of it two weeks ago. Where Paul says this, this is a great word to husbands, it's also a great word to all of us just in terms of how God looks upon us. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Here's how you should be head of the house. You want to be head of the house? Do it like Jesus is head of the church. Lay down your life for her while she was yet a sinner, while your wife still, you think, doesn't deserve it. Lay down your life. In order to, in order to make her holy. See, Christ didn't lay down the, his, his life for the church because she was holy. If she was holy, he wouldn't have had to lay down his life now, would she? Would he? So also, husbands, you lay down your life when she least deserves it. Because <laughs> that's what's going to turn her around. That's what's going to, you know... Okay. <laughs> husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her in order to make her holy by cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. Two things Christ did. He laid down his life. Okay, that made her a bride. And now he wants to wash her. How? By the word. By the word. The word is as we... 
said a couple weeks ago, the shower that we are to be underneath, to let it pour on us, to get into that shower, to wash off all the stuff that Jesus died to set us free from. And he washes her with the words so that he may present the church to himself in splendor. You see, there's a jewel. It is a jewel, but it's full of muck and grime. or It's, not, it's covered with muck and grime. He wants this, this jewel to shine. We are the jewel. He looks upon us, and he sees that we are too beautiful to go on, letting all this junk be in our minds and in our hearts. He wants us freed from sin so that we can radiate, so we can shine, so that we can reflect him. He washes her with the word, cleans up his bride so as to present to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything of the kind. Amen. Pray with me for a moment here, okay? Father, thank you for your word which is a cleansing force, the cleansing force in our life. And I would just pray, Lord, that your word would go forth here, your truth would go forth here, and that it would begin to have this cleansing effect in our minds, a cleansing effect in our hearts, cleansing effect in our plans and our aspirations, cleansing effect in what we say, cleansing effect in what we think, cleansing effect in what we do, Lord. But that's all your responsibility. I relinquish every ounce of it. I'm not going to make anything happen here. I couldn't if I tried, Lord. I'm just going to talk. So God, land on it, Lord. Make it powerful by your anointing, Lord. However it comes out, you do your job. And make your bride spotless, Lord. Clean us up. Wash us. That we may radiate your beauty. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I've been, um, uh, those of you who know me very well, and or have just been hanging around for a little bit, know that I can sometimes become a little bit Manic, or I go on these manic things. I don't know what it is. I, I just I get a little nuts. I get crazy. I don't know what it is. I just I'm not manic depressant because I don't get depressed. I just get manic. Uh, the roller coaster goes up, but it doesn't then go down. It's just you know, and and I think it's I I treat it like a gift. I'm a little hard to live with because I'm so you know compulsive and I don't sleep around the house. I only get a couple hours sleep and then. But I, what happens is that I feel like I get something. I feel like God's showing me something. I get this streak of inspiration. And I don't have time to sleep. I don't have time to eat. I just, I, I get up at 4 or 3 or 2 in the morning and I just, it's on my head and I got to express it. And so I get on the computer and I write it. And it's just, it's nuts. It's crazy. But I've been in one of those stages. Um, and, it, you know, it, I'm fine as long as there's something very good going on. As long as I'm doing the thinking and the writing and the talking and whatever, or, or the preaching, I'm fine. But as soon as I stop, it's like, oh, I'm out of here. But I'm at one of those stages. Last two weeks have been like this. One of the things that is getting me freaked out, pumped up, psyched up, hyperactive is a couple of things, actually, but one of the main things has been uh, this, this idea of, get, of getting free. The idea of getting free. For, for, We've been, uh, for about seven years, tossing around ideas, kind of fusing together psychology, the Bible, and theology, and kind of coming up with a system of stuff. And lately, we've been talking a lot, and things have been falling into place. And I've seen him, he's been seeing stuff on God's Word, and we're putting together this course to offer in September. And what drives the whole thing is, I think, is this, 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 I, I just got a nice rude passion. I just got a passion to have his, 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 to have his body freed. Uh, um, I'm just thinking so aware of how, of, how, of how needlessly we are knotted up. How needlessly 
with the jewels of God's heart, walk around with stupid mutts that can see our slender and it doesn't have to be the beer. As I'm trying to make me make make sky, he goes, let's watch. There's no no for this be here. All of it, of it, of it. All of it. All of it. Everybody say all of it. All of it has to do. No, no, you know that part. <laughs> the sermon will take twice as long if we keep up. No, you probably get that. All it has to do with, with truth and lies. Truth and lies. We are, we are in truth, 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 jewels. All oh, the people of Jesus Christ are in truth, 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 jewels. We are like, like that. And to, and to the degree that we know that, that thing, that feel, feel, that work, that work, and that thinking, and thinking, and feeling, walking in true truth. And, and we're free, free. You are free to the extent that you, that you are in the truth, in the truth. But to the extent that we believe lies and walk in lies and think lies, we, we, we are bonded. We are going to be outside of, to some degree, the plan and the design that God had for us. Jesus says, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And this whole idea of being washed with the word of God, of God is synonymous with saying you'll be washed with the truth of God. You shall know the word, the word shall set you free. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And you really don't know it. When it's really in your heart, when it's really in your mind, when you're living it, it will set you free. He also said 22 verses later in John chapter 8. Actually, it's 12 verses later. John, John chapter 8, verse 44, he says to a hostile crowd that was rejecting him, your father is the devil and you're in bondage to him. And he's been a liar from the beginning. He's the father of lies. There's two things going on in this world. There's a bunch of truth and there's a bunch of lies. And to the extent that you are in every area of your being lining up with the truth, you're going to be free. To the extent that you're lining up with lies, even if you're saved, you're going to be in bondage. The deal here is that we have bondage beliefs, lies that we accept, lies that we believe. We're so used to them, they're so ordinary for us, we receive them at such a young age sometimes, and they're so deep inside of us that a lot of times we don't even know that they're lies. They're just normal for us. We can't even think about how it could be differently. It's mud on the jewel, but we don't even notice it being there. We have no idea of how bright a diamond can shine because we've always had the mud there. It's lies, it's deception. Bondage beliefs. In fact, I want to call this sermon and next week and maybe the week after, bondage beliefs and the diabolical double bind. We'll get to that double bind bit later on next week sometime. But bondage beliefs, beliefs that you hold that are not true but keep you limited, keep you restricted, keep you from entering into the full splendor of what God has for you. It's kind of like Truman on the Truman Show. How many saw Truman? Isn't that a good show? That was a very good show. Um, Theologically profound. Check it out. I mean, it really is. Here's the story in a nutshell. Truman was this... What? Oh, did I breathe into it? Am I too loud? Oh, okay, I won't tell you the end. The part, the part where he gets out, okay, I'm not going to mention that. Um, <laughs> if I do mention it, remind me not to, Okay. <laughs> Okay, no, but the, but the basic storyline, you already know this from just reading the newspapers. It's really a good storyline. This little kid's adopted by this studio um, at, at a very young age, and this, this creator, he calls himself the creator, theological point there, of, this, uh, of, of the Truman Show, raises this kid in this enclosed environment. It's a studio. He's on this island called Sea Haven. Everybody who's on that island is an actor. 
And the only one who doesn't know it is him. He thinks this is reality. And they've constructed the stage and stuff so that the sky looks like a real sky and, and you can't see the horizon. But it's all in an enclosed studio and everybody knows it except for him. And his whole life he's growing up and the rest of the world is watching him and he doesn't know it. Okay? The creator took some very clever precautions to make sure that he never found this out. And a lot of the show was about that. And one of the things he did was to keep this guy on the island, he had to put in some mechanisms to make him afraid of ever traveling off the island. Double bind things, you see. And so he uh, orchestrated a stage that his father drowning when he was a little kid and just anchored that in his psyche. Okay, this kid sees his father drown, makes him petrified of ever being in a boat. And every time he goes to go on a boat, they, the, the, the creator manages to put something in there that would remind him of that... Uh, that incident when he was a kid. So he sees a sunken canoe there, you know. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, and he freaks out. He can't get on a boat to go anywhere. But all the while, Truman wants to leave, but he, he doesn't know. This is his whole reality, you see. But there's something inside of him that's, that, that longs to travel. He wants to go to Fiji. He's heard about Fiji on the other side of the planet. And, and, and he wants to go there, but he doesn't have any means of doing so. This is someone who is in a bondage belief. He's got a false idea given to him by a false creator, a false idea of what reality is, all right? He has uh, basic assumptions about who he is, who other people are, who God is, what reality is about are absolutely false, and they keep him in bondage. And the way that the creator keeps the lies from, uh, keeps him in these lies is by anchoring them with some traumatic experience so he can't ever find out that he's even being lied to. See, this whole thing goes, and it's theologically profound because he is really a false god. And there's a scene right out of Moby Dick there about how he, never mind, I won't, I won't tell you that. But it's really, really good. And the false creator uh, is, is, the false god is doing stuff to keep him there. But all the while, there's this girl who loves him who's on the outside who's praying to the real god. Oh, God, set him free. It's really surprisingly good. Anyways, you see, it's exactly the same thing with us in this fallen world. We, we get bondage beliefs. We are co-opted in this fallen world that is under the control of the enemy. We're co-opted from a very young age into his studio, as it were. You might even say that when we fell, this became the studio of the enemy. It really did. He's the god of this age, the principality and power of the air. And from the time we are born, to some degree, via the way we're raised, via the media, via experiences that happen to us, we are communicated lies, lies that are there. Lies about reality, lies about God, lies about us. And to the degree that we accept those things, we do not go free. We do not wake up to what is really real, who we really can be, to the possibilities there are in our life. We live life scared. We live life fearful. We live life not taking any risks because of the stuff that's installed in us. We're sitting here today. This is, this is why. This is why the Bible tells us so many things of what we could be, jewels, of what we could be, how we could shine, and yet you know and I know that in my life it doesn't happen quite like that. Sometimes it doesn't even look remotely like that. We're sitting here and you got anger in your life. Maybe that's, maybe that's the sea haven of your life. Or maybe it's lust. That's the sea haven of your life. Or maybe you're just a compulsive gambler. Or maybe you're a compulsive gossiper. Maybe you're promiscuous. I don't know. What is the sea haven in your life? I can assure you this. If you're on that sea haven, it's because you're believing a lie. 
And what God would have you do is to wake up to what really is and to have you get on a boat and have you go on a trip and have you go out the door and have you enter into the real world. The real world as he defines it, not as your mind has up to this point defined it. Depression, you know that the spirit of God and the spirit of joy is inside of you, but still there's chronic depression. And you know that the power of the Holy Ghost is inside of you, but there's chronic fatigue. And you know that the, the confidence of God Almighty is inside of you, but there's chronic insecurity and fear. And the reason is because of bondage beliefs that you hold. Bondage beliefs. And a person can say to you, oh, you ought not to gossip, you ought not to sleep around, you ought not to do this, you ought not to do that, you shouldn't be addicted in this way, you shouldn't, better not, should not, whatever. But as long as you are holding to the bondage beliefs like Truman on Sea Haven, every time you get close to freedom, something's going to lock you. You maybe won't even notice it. You won't even notice it. God wants to set his bride free. Amen. He wants to get his bride off of the sea havens that lock her in and hold her down and chain her up and keep her from moving into the full glory of what he died for her to have. He wants her to shine. He wants you individually to shine. Believer, he wants you to shine. And would to God that we could get a vision for just how bright we would be if we shine the way the Lord wants us to shine. What are you capable of? How many things have you ceased from doing, ceased from changing, because you never even dreamed it was possible? God wants us to get off a of sea haven. Now, the way to do it, ultimately, is by the Word. Okay, this is what this Word's about. He wants us cleaned by the Word. He wants us freed by the Word. The Word of God shall set you free. Okay, and what I want to be doing here in the next week or two is talking about that in particular, applying that. How do we go about? I've read the Bible all my life and I'm still in chains, okay? Why? Well, let's talk about how to begin to apply this. The first point, and this is the only point we're going to get to, is one of three that I was going to cover this morning, but the first service I only got to. The first one, and so I want to keep it consistent because it's too hard for me to think about two services being in a different place. So, I'm going to make one point this morning. And the point has to do with this. We've talked about it before several years ago, or a year ago, I don't know when, but we need to go over it again. You need to distinguish soul from spirit. You need to distinguish soul from spirit. Most people think that they're just body and soul. And the Bible sometimes uses soul and spirit synonymously, and I understand why they think that. But there's an important reason to make at least sometimes a distinction between soul and spirit. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says this. The word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. The Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. That just means it can cut up and it can cut down. Whatever way you wield it, it's going to cut. All right? there's, no, there's no dull side to it, praise God. I, I just thought of that. Okay. <laughs> there's no edge. To, there's no dull side to it. Okay. The Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, cutting even to the dividing of joint and marrow, soul and spirit, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. The word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. Dividing even, or cutting even to the, the division of, of joint and marrow, soul and spirit, and discerning or judging the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Now think about this. What is the difference between soul and spirit? Well, to get at that, ask the question, what's the difference between joint and marrow? Because the author is drawing a parallel analogy. Is what it's usually called. He's drawing an analogy here. In the same way that a surgeon would maybe be able to, if they had a really, really, really sharp knife, divide joints and even divide marrow, so also the Word of God can divide soul and spirit. There's a parallel going on, on here. In other words, soul is to us what, what our joints are to us. Spirit is to us what marrow is to us on a physical level. 
Joints are what hold your skeleton together, all right? I got joints all over the place here, okay? It's what keeps me a unified body. You know, I can move my arm because of the joint that's there, my neck because of the joint. I got a hip joint, the hip joint's connected to the back joint, the back joint, and whatever. I don't know if you have a back joint. Anyways, you get the point. I am not very learned in the area of, of whatever the science would be that would know that. <laughs> Physiology or anatomy. anatomy, that's it. Okay, so we got joints, all right? That's what makes me a unified self. Take away my joints and I will crumble as a bunch of flesh and blood here on the ground. Okay, I'll just be a pile. Pretty gross. So it keeps me a structured self. But marrow is what makes a bone a bone. Joints hold the bone together, but marrow is what makes a bone a bone. You see how that goes? So also, soul. Our soul is not simply a physical thing. That's our body. But it is our united self. It's, it's what holds us together as single individuals. I am right now, as Greg Boy talking to you, a fairly complex being. I hold together, I hold together uh, thoughts, I hold together feelings, I hold together memories, I have plans, but it's all somehow united here, okay? There's a lot of things going on right now, but it's all united as a single me. That's my soul. It's primarily the way I think about things, my consciousness of myself, and my feelings about myself. Most people think that is the totality of what they are, and that's a very unfor unfortunate mistake to make. Because it's kind of like thinking that Sea Haven is the real world. They identify with their thoughts. They identify with their feelings. They think that this is just, I'm just here. This is who I am. And that's why they say so often, I can't help it. Because if you identify totally with that, you can't help it. If you are your thoughts, then you really can't change your thoughts because there's no you to step outside of your thoughts to change it. I'd make that more complex if I could, but I think I succeeded as it was. They think that they're all soul. Your thoughts, your feelings, that's who I am. It's just me. There it is. And that's why they never really think about their thoughts and reflect on their feelings to try to change them. But the Bible says there's more to us than that. There, in fact, what makes us distinctly human is not our personalities. Okay? That's why people with a lot of personality aren't more human than people without any personality, whether it's through some accident or something. What makes you human is your spirit. Because there is down in the core, and I don't want to divide these, we're, we are unitary beings, beings, body, soul, and spirit. They're, these are different facets of one same reality, but we still, the Word of God, can distinguish between them, okay? You are in the core of your being, spirit. You, in the core of your being, this is where you decide the issues of life. This is where you resolve, even before you're conscious of it, whether or not you'll yield to the Spirit of God, who's, who's, who's wooing you to accept Him, or whether or not you'll resist the Spirit of God. Before it ever gets to the mind, it's going on in your spirit. Okay, this is who you are in the core of your being. You are not just your thoughts. You're more than that. You're not just your feelings. You're more than that. There's a part of you, the center of you, where the will is located, which can transcend all of that. That's why the Bible can tell you to take every thought captive to Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. It tells you to take every thought captive. It's not talking to your thoughts there. It's talking to you beyond your thoughts. If there was no you beyond your thoughts, it couldn't possibly tell you to take your thoughts captive. Note that it says that it's your thoughts. Take your thoughts. You are not your thoughts. You own your thoughts, and there's something you're supposed to do with them. You are more than your thinking. You're more than your feeling. And if you are aware of that, if you distinguish between soul and spirit, you can step outside of it and look at the way you think, and now begin to decide whether or not you like it, whether or not what is there should be there. But if you are totally submerged, most people just don't, never do that. If you're totally submerged in what you think, totally submerged in how you feel, then you will feel like a victim to yourself. 
Okay, you're in bondage to your thoughts. You're in bondage to your feelings because you don't even know. It's like Truman didn't know what the, real, what the real deal was. You don't even know that you can step outside of it. The way God designed things, it's a beautiful design. It works profoundly well if, uh, if we follow it. God's design for us was to be this. Jesus Christ would be Lord over us and our spirit would be submitted to him. Okay, in the core of our being, we would be surrendered. And when you're saved, you are. In the core of your being, you're saying yes to Jesus Christ. That's what it is to be regenerate. That's what it is to be saved. Jesus Christ would be over our spirit, and our spirit would be over our soul. The Greek word is suke. We get the word psychology from it. It primarily has to do with the mind, but it involves more than that. It also involves the feelings that are always the result of what the mind is thinking. Feelings are not the result of what's going on outside of you. They're always the, the a response to what you're thinking about what goes on around you. It's an important point to note. We'll get to it again next week. Jesus Christ would be over the spirit. The spirit would be over the, 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 the soul. The soul would then be over the body, and the body is supposed to influence the world. That's the hierarchy. Jesus, spirit, soul, body, world. God wants to be Lord of the whole world, but he obviously doesn't want to do it unilaterally because he wants to do it by means of us. That's part of what the job that Adam and Eve had. We're to care for the world. He carries out his lordship through us. He wants to love people through us. He wants to accomplish his will through us, okay? He is doing it, but he does it through us if our spirit is lined up with Jesus Christ, our mind is lined up with our spirit, our body is lined up with our, our mind, and then the world lines up with what our bodies do. See how it goes? You might think about it like this. You are, you are not just your soul, you are spirit, and your soul, your mind, is given to you as a sort of, think about it this way, it's just an analogy, but as a sort of computer. It is the computer that you've been given ultimately to carry out God's will with because you're supposed to be submitted to God's will, but it's your computer. Your mind, let's think just now about the mind. The mind, this computer was to be programmed as I submit to God, his truth was supposed to flow in and program this computer. So we'd think about ourselves and feel about ourselves the way we really are. Everything we do to everyone around us is via this computer, via the mind. Right now, I'm a spirit being. Okay, I'm a spirit being. Uh, but I have this computer. It's called my mind. Sometimes it works pretty well. Sometimes it don't work too well. Uh, but I, I'm, picture it like this. I'm sitting at a keyboard back here. Picture a little tiny green guy back here. Spirit being. He's wearing a t-shirt. It says spirit being. And he's sitting at the computer and he's, he's typing in. Okay, here's what I want to communicate. And he's typing in. Okay, brain, think these thoughts. And there's a program that's running. And the brain then is saying, okay, vocal cords, body, say these words. And the, and the body says, okay. And so the, body, the, the vocal cords say to the air, the world now, jiggle this way. And so the, the, the air jiggles a certain way, and it goes into your ear, and now you reverse the process to find out what I said. Isn't it incredible how God created this world? I'm right now thinking a bunch of thoughts all at one time. I'm sitting here typing in my computer. It, the computer's then talking to my, my, my soul now. is talking to my body, which is saying, jiggle with this, this certain kind of frequency here, okay? And, and move, while you're moving the arms and doing all sorts of other stuff. And I got some part of my computer that's even telling me to sweat. Make sure press the water button. It's getting hot. <laughs> I got a committee up there. <laughs> and all of us are just a little bit crazy. <laughs> Okay, so typing it all up there, it's going into my vocal cords, and my vocal cords are jiggling in the airwaves, it's going into your ears. Your ears then reversing the process, sending it up to your mind and says, interpret, so then you have a computer which interprets what I say. What I want you to know, and then that affects your spirit. You are not your computer. You own the computer. You're different than the computer. And in God's design, 
He would be Lord of your spirit, and then everything your computer would do, you'd be the programmer. It would function right because you'd be in charge of it. Take every thought captive to Jesus Christ. It's another way of saying, program your computer right. Get it lining up with the truth. Get it out of all this junk that's going on. See, what happens is this. That's the order that should be. What happens with the fall is things get all screwed up. Sin always screws things up. You know, if you're walking, if you're walking the way God designed you to walk, Jesus, spirit, soul, body, world. There's peace. There's joy. There's the fruit of the spirit. All pistons are hitting. All systems go. It's going very, very well. Now you're walking as God created you walk. This is what it is to be in the image of God. You're going to reflect God's character, God's nature, God's joy, because everything is lined up. To the degree that we don't walk like that, we are literally diseased. The word means dis-at ease or out of harmony. We are diseased. When things are reversed, when the order, when Jesus Christ isn't over the spirit, spirit over soul, soul over body, body over world, things get all screwed up. And now, now you have the stuff we talked about early. We have the anger, you have all the other kind of junk going on. With the fall, the thing got totally reversed. Instead of being God, spirit, soul, body, world, it all gets reversed. And now you have the world telling the body what to feel, the body telling the mind what to think, the mind telling the spirit who it is, and the spirit often just totally ignores God. The new Lord of the world is, is the world. You see it with Eve. The minute Eve let a bondage belief get into her mind, which was a lie about who God was and a lie about who she was. As soon as she got that bondage belief, she looked to a tree to define her being. God wants to define our being. God wants to tell us who we are, not some stupid tree. But Eve turns to the tree and thinks, oh, look it, it can make me wise, it can make me good. And now, now instead of being defined this way, we're getting defined this, this way. And now our computer, which always operates very well, the computer is still hitting on all pistons. Nothing wrong with your computer. People didn't be, the brains didn't go turn to muck when we fell. They just started, the computer started getting programmed with all sorts of wrong information. Because the second thing that happens with the fall is now Satan takes over the studio. We're getting defined from the outside, which ought not to happen. And the one who's controlling the outside is the enemy. So what's going inside of us now? What's going inside of us is a bunch of garbage, you guys. A bunch of lies. A bunch of deceptions. And just like Truman, it starts when we're very, very young. It starts when we're at this little age being fed these lies. Being, the computer's getting programmed in all sorts of screwy ways. So we forget. We don't know. It becomes confused as to what's real, who we are, who God is. Because we're looking to be defined by the outside. Anytime... Anytime we let something outside of us control how we think and how we feel, we're giving permission, we're giving authority to the outside world to program our computer. The computer's working very well, but it's got all this wrong information, operating on false assumptions. And as long as that's the case, you're never going to be walking in the right relationship. You can have, you can at the core of your being be a spirit who is totally saved, and your computer's totally screwed up. And you wonder why is it that the Bible has all these promises, and I don't see hardly any of them, because, see, your spirit inside is saying, you're free. You're created for freedom. But your computer program is saying, no, 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 yeah, bondage belief. You, you, there's something inside of you that says, I'm created for holiness. But the computer is saying, the computer is saying, no, you're a sinner. You've always been a sinner. You always will be a sinner. Inside is saying, I was created for love and fathomable love. And, and, and you, your spirit knows it's real. But as long as it's trying to work on this computer, but the computer's got all these wrong information, false assumptions, computer virus is going on, and so everything gets screwed up. And then what the enemy does is he anchors it in our being. He, he provides little anchors, cues, that press the programs to run in a certain way. It's like 
Truman, when he went to the water, he'd see the water, he'd see a boat sunk. Bam! Hit the little kid button. Father's going to drown. Ah! And he, cooks, he kicks into his, his panic program, his computer program that says panic, so he can't do what he ought to be doing. Talked to a person this last week. When she was a little kid, when she was a little kid, uh, the, um, no one ever believed her. They all thought she was telling lies. Maybe she exaggerated here and there, but they always thought she was being overdramatic. No one ever believed her. And she had a couple of incidences that were very wounding to her. Okay, boom, anchors. And now whenever anyone questions her a little bit, oh, really? Boom, someone, the spirit presses this, this computer program that says, oh, no, oh, no, they're not believing you, and she'll either get enraged or she'll get depressed. She's acting like a five-year-old because that's the computer program that she's got. Working on a false assumption, false premise, she presses the program, and so though she's a saved person, it doesn't get manifested whenever anybody, with all good intention, says, oh, really, or, or is that true, or can you explain yourself, okay? Computer program going on. Another guy sees his father raging at his family, raging against his mother, learns through a number of different experiences that if you're going to be a man, if you're going to be macho, if you're going to be the head of the household, if you're going to get your way, the way to do it is to scream and to rage and maybe break a thing or two just for effect's sake. And so whenever there's a conflict going on in his life, boom, the computer program kicks in. And you can tell them you ought not to be so defensive, you ought not to rage so much, but as long as the program's thinking along these lines, it's going to happen. Spirit knows it shouldn't happen, but the program is going on, you see? And what needs to happen is for the spirit, to, for, the, for the soul, the mind, the feelings to be brought into captivity to Jesus Christ. Some of us, even as adults, have stuff like this happen. There are people in this congregation, and I used to be one of them. I got freed from this before I started preaching, you'll be glad to know, but, but um, who, who have trouble with the Word of God? You open the Bible, some of you can say amen to this, you open the Bible and it's just like, this ain't good news. You notice all the bad parts, you know, the judgment, wrath, you know, Canaanite, slaughter stuff. And, and the good stuff just goes right past you. And the reason is because this. At some point, maybe when you first became a Christian, your mind was just wide open to the world. Saying, what is true? Somebody came along and said, use this not as a nice refreshing shower to clean off the mud off the jewel, but rather, says, but rather to be, convince you that you're no jewel and to beat you into submission into someone else's program. And now that gets anchored. It gets installed. And you open the Bible, and it's kind of like Flinchville. You know, it's kind of like Truman trying to get off of, of, of C... Flinchville, I don't know. Sea Haven. Okay, it's installed there. And what the Lord wants, what the Lord wants is for us to be freed from that, you guys. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. Amen. The Word of God, and we'll start with this next week. The Lord, we as a spirit being, precisely because we are not subsumed with our thought, we're not, we are not exhaustively defined by our feeling, we can step out of it. You can look at it yourself. The Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, even to the dividing of the soul and spirit, to this effect. It, the Word of God can tell us, can separate for us, what we really are from what we've always thought that we were. What God says about us as opposed to what mom and dad say about us. It can do surgery on us. If that doesn't happen, we confuse the two together. We're always mixing stuff from our experience with stuff from, that, that we think is true. We are Truman on Sea Haven. But the Word of God has the power and the means, anointed by the Spirit of God, to come into our life and to begin to distinguish the two. Here's who you really are, even though you've always thought this. Here's how you ought to feel about things, even though you've always felt this. Here's how you can be empowered to live a certain way, even though you've always lived like this. Here's what God says about you, even though this is what mom and dad and grandma said about you. This is what the commercials say is true about you. 
you can be free. The Word of God can set you free. It's sort of like you got chains locked to a post. The Word of God can smash them and set you free. He wants us off of Sea Haven, you guys. He wants us to take the boat ride. He wants us to go through the door. He created us. We, if we could just begin to see this, He created us to shine with a splendor that the world would notice. Whoa, where do these people get their life? Wow, what, what, what are you eating? And you can respond, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. He wants his bride free. Here's an assignment for this week. I'm a professor, so I get to give assignments. And the trouble is I can't grade you, so half of you won't do it. But listen, spirit beings, I'm talking to you. Spirit beings, we're going to be talking about programming our computers. First step is to be, realize you've got a computer and it's yours. So this week, I want you to be paying attention to how you think. Okay? Take out maybe one area. Is there an area of your life, maybe it's anger, maybe it's lust, maybe, I don't know what it is. But pick out an area that you know is not, you're not living up to the reality of, of, of who you are in Christ. You're not living the way God would want you to live. You're not thinking the way God wants you to think. And I just want you to notice it. Okay? Don't even right now try to change it. Just notice it. Boy, this program, did God program this into you or did something else? And then just be aware, be thinking about, is there something in the Word of God, some truth, that you could begin to take in that would reprogram that? All freedom is about actually reprogramming your computer in the light of truth. Flushing out the lies, pushing the delete button on all the lies, and then saturating your mind with the truth of the Word. Know that you're a spirit being. Just be aware of that. Watch yourself think. It's really kind of interesting. Step out. As you're getting angry, try. Not to be subsumed into that, but step outside and observe that. Whoa, look at that brain. Look at that computer work. It's working very well, actually. It's just working with a bunch of false information. And then ask yourself the question, what is it trying to accomplish working like that? Why would it be doing that? Who programmed this thing anyways? All right? Just be aware of that. And then be thinking, I wonder what alternative program I can put into it. Because this is the battle, folks. This is the battle right here. Okay? This is the battle. And we're going to wage it. And God's going to win. Let's pray. Father. Father, I thank you for giving us the computers you gave us. They're very different, all of, us, all of them. Uh, they're wired differently, and they're marvelous. But Lord, the enemy has, in this fallen world, in this studio of his, just conditioned us and just, just programmed the stuff wrong. Put in viruses. They don't operate right. But Lord, we know that you came to set the captives free, and your bride's one of those captives, and you definitely want her free. I pray, Lord God, as we go out of here, we would just know who we really are, know what is true about us. Lord, I pray that we would not, that we'd be increasingly free from the idea that we're victims of our own thoughts and feelings, Lord. And I pray that your spirit, empowering our spirit, would begin to get us, gain us mastery over these things, that we could shine with the splendor that you saved us to shine, that we could reflect your glory, which is to our benefit, because it's joyful, but it's also to the benefit of the world around us. Just set your captives free, Lord God, as we take every thought captive to Jesus Christ. We ask these things in your name. And all God's Spirit said, Amen. Praise God.